Regardless of who you are, you've likely gathered with others for many different reasons and occasions. Sometimes these gatherings are effective, and sometimes not. In this episode, we'll be covering a book that we recently read that we want to discuss with everyone. Welcome to Breakpoint, the ServiceNow Developer Podcast. Hello, ServiceNow admins, builders, developers, and of course, all the curious individuals that I always say with the utmost love and respect, welcome to or welcome back to Breakpoint, the ServiceNow developer podcast, where we bring you the latest tools, tips, and tradecraft to accelerate your career. My name is Chuck Tomasi, Senior Developer Advocate at ServiceNow, and I am joined by the wonderful, the beautiful, the very smart Lauren McManaman, also Senior Developer Advocate. How are you today, Lauren? With an intro like that, I'm feeling a lot better. How about yourself? <laughs> then my work is done here. No, wait, we've got a we've got a, a book to talk about. We do. We're actually trying a more experimental episode of Breakpoint today, aren't we? <laughs> yes. Yes. Well, well, it's it's in that tradecraft section. We talk about soft skills and presentation skills and how to talk to executives. We've had a number of them over the last three years. It's in that it's in that uh, three-legged stool that we call Breakpoint with the career conversations and the product reviews and talking to the product managers. Well, this is this is in that same vein of the trade craft, the the skills you need outside. You know, sometimes it's technical, sometimes it's not, and and this would be one of those mm, not so technical but still important things to remember. Now, do you want to do a, a lead-in as to what book we're talking about and who it's by and all that good stuff? Absolutely. So coincidentally, I'm part of a book club with a group of my girlfriends here in Dallas. And we had read, I think, around eight or nine fiction books, which were all really fun. And I had been begging them (laughs) for like months. I was like, guys, please, I really love nonfiction. I'll try to pick something that's like a crowd pleaser to everybody. And this happened to be the book that I had found. Now, how did how did you find this? I I believe I saw it just in Barnes Noble, uh, much to Barnes Noble's chagrin. I walk around their store, I find books that look appealing, take pictures of them, and get them elsewhere. <laughs> I think I just saw it on the shelf of Barnes Noble. It's called The Art of Gathering, and it's by Priya Parker. Um, it might have been on one of the bestseller lists for nonfiction, but what really caught my eye about it was it was about the art of congregating, right? The art of bringing people together, which ironically, I was like, oh, that's perfect for book club because that's what we're doing. Maybe there it'll offer some insight on how we can improve it. But I was even more impressed with how relevant it seemed to our line of work as well as developers, not just developer advocates. Yeah. And I had that interest. I went, oh, I wonder if this would be applicable. How much of this would be useful for our developer meetups, our meetup organizers. Uh, and and certainly this show is not targeted to just that select audience. It is for everyone. As I mentioned in the beginning, you probably have had a gathering of some type, whether it's you know four people going out on a group date or uh, a larger gathering where you want to get together and and identifying why you're gathering and who you're gathering for. Are there any guidelines or rules? We're going to talk about a lot of that stuff. And I, I, I love this infographic that you socialized just a couple of days ago on LinkedIn because I glanced at it and I went, well, this is, this is journalism 101, the who, what, when, where, why, and how of all of this yeah. stuff. But if you don't go into wh- uh, whether it's a corporate meeting a retrospective for your software updates or whatever it is with that thought in mind, it's not going to be successful no matter how you slice it. You might get lucky, you might get lucky, but having a plan up front 
is the key to success. And I think this book outlines a number of things. They, they cover many, many great examples. Uh, yes. Where would you like to start? I think they start in the book with purpose. Yeah, I think that's the best place to start. So I want to clarify first, uh, one misconception I had was I thought this would also be relevant to the art of like decorating, right? I think a lot of the books in those lines usually kind of talk about like, oh, like what forks are appropriate or like what decorations you should have. Uh, That is not the case at all with this book. It's truly about how to create meaningful relationships. So I think that's what makes it so applicable to work type things as well. And probably the the first, I would say 20% of the book revolves around what Miss Parker defines as creating a purpose for your engagement. Um, She really kind of defines it as something that acts as the bouncer to every other decision that you have to make for your gathering, like who you are inviting, where it will be. All those should be dependent on the purpose and not the other way around. So for example, I would have assumed a purpose would be a wedding, a baby shower, a book club, right? And what she really defines is that that is not the case. That is the category, right? And a category is not the same as a purpose by any way, shape, or form. Yeah. And some of the examples uh, she had was, hey, every summer our neighborhood or our cul-de-sac likes to get together uh, to celebrate the end of summer. Yes. What's the purpose? Well, the purpose is so we can get together. And what's the purpose of that? You know, to show the kids that strangers, you know, know, the people in our neighborhood are not strangers. They're your friends. And the more you ask, you know, what exactly is the purpose, (laughs) then you get to why we are meeting. Absolutely. It's kind of like doing discovery on the whole purpose. And I think it's easy to kind of neglect that, especially in work, right? There's so many meetings that you just do and that companies have done for so long that they become the category, right? You kind of lose the purpose or over time. This is something that we, uh, let me try again. Uh, When she had talked about defining a purpose, this was something that because we've taken a more hands-on approach for like developer meetups, for example, this was a discussion that we all brought to the table of like, well, what is really the purpose, right, of developer meetups and kind of using that to build a stronger organization around them. And having said, you know, that the the purpose, you know, going through that iterative process, it reminded me very much of software requirements. When somebody says, oh, I need a field on this form. Why? You know, I've got one of the most popular blog articles I ever wrote on the community was ask why. And you Mm -hmm. keep asking why until you get to the heart of the matter. This is the same kind of thing. If you're not understanding what the purpose of that checkbox on the form is, it probably doesn't belong there. If you don't understand why you're having this meeting or why you're having this gathering or group outing, whatever it is, you probably shouldn't have it yet. Yeah. And and also, I think the the concept of it acting as your bouncer, too, was very interesting because especially with work-type gatherings, there are a lot of people involved in the decision-making process. And Mm -hmm. it's really easy for there to be scope creep in who is coming and what is being presented and how many people are invited. But if you really define that purpose, I think it makes it easier to trim the fat where it's, where it's appropriate too. Oh, we should have had everybody on our upcoming meeting that you and I are, the the upcoming event (laughs) that you and I are involved with read this book first, because 
we are struggling for the purpose of this. He keeps to keep moving. And, and like you said, there's a lot of, a lot of cooks as Mark Obi said, but not a lot of chefs. So you have to have some decision makers in there to understand what is the purpose. And I, I said that example just to make you laugh. Yeah. I think we, it's a little bit of a, what is it? Schadenfreude. Just like. <laughs> it's too real, Roy. It's too real. <laughs> Well, it kind of it's a nice transition point to like the next big part of the book too, which is who comes to yeah. this gathering. For once you've defined the purpose, she spends another like I think like ten percent of the book just defining who should come. Uh, I think probably one of the most hilarious. What was the name that she gave? the gentleman of like, or the metaphorical person of like, they're not harming by being invited. Right. But they're not adding anything. What was the, Oh, I, I don't recall the name. Uh, I, I in, in all transparency, you read the book, right? Yeah. I, I, we, our book club meetings tomorrow. <laughs> I've been listening to the book on, on uh, audible. Uh, actually I bought it off of Google play, but I I'm more of a listener. So while I do my morning walks, I can you know, suck up oh, a nice. couple of chapters the uh, yeah the who was very important because uh, it's it's not against the law to keep something exclusive because the minute you change that dynamic they were talking about this small group I think it was in the Bay Area San Francisco where these this small group of what was it eight ten eleven people had gotten to know each other well enough that they could open up and they were discovering they were telling each other things that you wouldn't normally be able to tell in fact one person was um what they were coming out i think it was and and had they invited some strangers some outsiders go oh can i just bring my girlfriend to this meeting or can i just bring my boyfriend to this meeting it would have changed that and that one person would have suffered it would have shut them down because they would not have felt that comforting open feeling so being exclusive is not necessarily a bad thing if that's the purpose of your meeting yeah, she called it the generosity of exclusion too, because sometimes you could it could also have the adverse effect on the the more peripheral people invited. They mm-hmm. might not feel as included in the purpose because it wasn't really targeted for them in the first place. So I liked that because I think there's such a fear too of excluding people. You never want to hurt somebody's feelings. You definitely never want someone to feel excluded from a gathering. But that doesn't mean per se, that it would be the appropriate one for them or for the others that are already there. So I think that was the first time she really starts to find the importance of hosting as well. And we'll go more into that in like a second or two. Oh, yeah. But the art of hosting, too, is being able to be confident enough in making that decision. And that kind of goes back to the purpose, right? Like that in that moment, Trulia is acting as a bouncer. One of the trickiest things that comes up in any event planner, whether you're mm. you're just looking for a conference room in your business or you're trying to find a venue to host a larger event, is the location. Yes. <laughs> you can't really have an event without a location because you know you gotta fill in the where field on meetup.com or your <laughs> your Outlook invite or something. There's gotta be some place to meet. And and I thought the the, the where has to align with the purpose as well. There was a wonderful example of a failed example. Uh, was it Lucent and... Alcatel-Lucent. Alcatel-Lucent. Yeah. That's what it was. They were trying to do this merger years ago, and mm-hmm. they started on a neutral ground. But a- after a few days, they moved to the French Alcatel company, and the French started changing the way they behaved, which 
really shot down the whole thing. They just changing the venue changed the whole structure of that negotiation. And the CEO of Lucent said, I'm done. I'm out of here because it's no longer a, a we thing. It They were saying words like, you know, after you're acquired, you know, it's like, mm-hmm. it's wow. They became very uh, aggressive in their nature. So where, another example that, I, that popped up just on our recent family trip to Iceland. Yeah, we were talking about that. Great example of location being a formative factor to the success. Uh, Iceland is halfway between Europe and North America. And in the 80s, we were kind of at the height of the Cold War with Ronald Reagan and Mikhail Gorbachev. In 1986, they got together in Iceland, halfway symbolically and literally halfway between these two countries to start talking about nuclear disarmament. And I thought that was that was a great use case of where location matters because yes. they were in a neutral territory. They were halfway between their meeting halfway. And I just thought that was that was so brilliant. Whoever thought that location up. Absolutely. I think the I think the quote that she had said is that venues come with scripts, which I thought was like very fascinating because especially hmm. with like corporate events, right? It's kind of like, ah, we'll pick whatever can hold the people, right? That we want, but very, you know, but not as often as it considerate of what the overall environment or vibe also imbues your event with, even if it's just a small gathering of a couple or like a dozen people, it doesn't have to be something as large as a knowledge conference that depending on what room you pick or what borders exist in that room, it could create a supremely different event. One, uh, very rarely are there actual like hard numbers utilized in this book, yep. but one that was fascinating to me was the amount of square footage that every person should oh, be Oh, my goodness. There was like this whole <laughs> table. Of, yeah, it was a chart of yes. this many people and this type of event and, you know, eight square feet and 12 square feet and 20 square feet. And in general, what the, what the breakdown rule is, if people are too spread out, your gathering will not be effective. If you've got something the size of a gymnasium and you only have 12 people attending your event, oh, wrong venue. Yes, it'll feel entirely empty. And so they had even categorized it by like, do you want it to be elegant? Do you want it to be bustling? Or do you want it to be like hot? And so right. like they gave the amount of square footage for, I think it was a dinner party, a cocktail hour, and like a, a dance party or like wedding reception style of event. I was like, that's fascinating. I want to know that the study that went into that to give it such concrete numbers. Exactly. It, it's, it, it kind of goes both ways. The, the venue can drive your attendance, but the attendance can also drive the venue. Absolutely. You have to think ahead. How big of an event do I want? How, what, what size gathering am I going to get? Uh, we did this just last week when we were setting up last week's uh uh, meet up in central Illinois. Yeah. How many people are we planning to get? We didn't have any clue. We could get 11, we could get 40. Well, if your venue only holds 30, then getting 40 people is going to be a problem. So do you overestimate? Do you shift? How do you handle the communications? It, it, it's tricky when you have to change venues during the registration or the planning process because inevitably somebody will and somebody did go to the wrong venue. <laughs> No. Well, it was the first time, first time jitters. We, they were 20 minutes late, but they got to the right venue. <laughs> they made it. That's all good. <laughs> 
And what a great act as a non-chill host, right? To figure out that they made it to the right place, which kind of additionally transitioned to what I would argue is probably the biggest meat of this book, which is defining the role of a host. And this is something that as a type A person, I wanted to scream from the heavens. I'm like, I was right. I knew I was <laughs> right as far as this goes, because I've been to many parties and many events and even corporate events, right? Where there is somebody that's hosting yep. and they are just chill, right? Oh, we don't want to tell the guests what to do. We don't want to order people around. But those two things are not mutually exclusive, right? Being a chill host is actually quite what they, what she defines is quite of a kind of a selfish persona because you're putting off those types of responsibilities kind of onto your guests to do, right? Yeah. Uh, there, there are again different situations for different host roles. There was that one. Yes. What was it? The the French dinner party. I can't even say it, it was like Dinah Leblanc or something. <laughs> You're talking where, to the wrong person. I speak Chinese, <laughs> right? And I don't speak French without choking. The uh, but it it was a dinner party where the host had rules, but they did not get involved otherwise. They yes. said, "This is the way this party is going to behave, and if you can't behave, then you can't come." And and pretty much the tables drove their own meeting, and it's hugely successful. The, yeah. uh, there was a term she used called generous authority, I think it was. Yeah, where, I love that. Where there's times when you do have to step in because you are there to ensure the group has a successful gathering. And mm-hmm. if somebody, if you don't have that authority, someone else is going to assume authority, and it may not be what you intend for that gathering. And we're not yes. always talking about dinner parties and baby showers and and those types of things, but you want to make sure that it's going the way you want. And sometimes you do have to step up and say, "Hey, you know, that's great conversation, but you know, a little off topic for what we're here about." Just you got to be a mediator, moderator, facilitator role at times. And I, I thought it was gr- a lot of again great examples throughout this entire book. Of, yeah. of when you need to be that enforcer. I, I laugh when, uh, the was it the professor who was teaching a class on leadership? Yes. <laughs> got yeah. all the students in there and did absolutely nothing. He just sat there at his desk. I don't know if he was staring at them coldly or working on papers or what, but nothing happened. And you know, five minutes goes by, 10 minutes goes by. There's a little rumble going on among the students. And, mm-hmm. and he's waiting for somebody to like step up as a leader, which is ironic because <laughs> nobody really did. <laughs> but I think that showcases too, like the responsibilities that hosting can really do for a group of people. I think she defines as they are there to protect them, right? So if people are you know, kind of going off the rails or like acting in a way that like might not be appropriate for the rules that you kind of created for this like alternate world, right? Um, there you have to connect people. She t- there's like a whole chapter just on like ushering guests into an event, which was really fascinating. Yeah. But also there to equalize. I think this is probably the hardest thing as a developer or technical person that might be bringing together people of various ranks and, you know, organizational titles is providing an environment that truly feels like people are on equal footing, you know? Yep. We host a number of events at our house each year, some for personal, some for professional, whatever. And I like to be the social butterfly. I go through and make sure everybody feels welcome. 
to get a few minutes of FaceTime, maybe even introduce them to somebody they don't know if they haven't already. That's that's when I feel success out of our social gatherings is when new connections are made. Right. That's the best feeling. We're like, oh, they're friends now because of this thing that I, I think that my, probably my proudest moment is that I, uh, back in college, I, I noticed there wasn't a lot of single person friendly events in February because usually they're Valentine's Day parties, right? And I was trying to think of a holiday or an event to also celebrate. And the only one that was close, the other than I think Arbor Day was like Lunar New Year or Chinese New Year. And so my roommate and I, both of which not Chinese, uh, threw a Chinese New Year party. And two of my friends that attended got married. And that's my biggest success as a host. Nice. <laughs> Way to go, Cupid. It, but it, it takes some it takes some thought and some effort to yeah. stay in that role because it's real easy for me to duck into the studio and start singing karaoke and get stuck there yeah. for an hour. Trust yeah. me, it happens. Uh, but on the other hand, you don't got to don't say anybody else want to sing. And if nobody else does, great. I'll go back to make sure we're serving drinks and having fun and the, the you know, whatever's happening out at the pool is going according to plan. Just yeah. to, to keep things moving. Otherwise, you know, people get bored or irritated or get on each other's nerves and leave. And it's like, that's mm-hmm. not a successful thing. So have that that role prepared. And again, an, an easy one is having events at, at home, whether it's book club, Bible study, uh, you know, pizza party, football game, whatever. You're there for a reason and you want to make sure that the guests are engaged to fulfill that reason. Yeah. And kind of also harkens to the strength of maybe having a co-host too. So like you're really great at connecting people, but perhaps Donna or someone else like in your family is more there to like kind of protect and reinforce like the house rules and stuff like that too. That's a great argument for why sometimes dividing and conquering the art of hosting can be a positive thing as well. Yeah. You reminded me of the... uh... German Egyptian lady that came up a couple of times as an example oh. in the book. <laughs> and I, when you were told to behave by this woman, you know, you felt like you were being scolded, but it was for the benefit <laughs> of everyone else. Like, hey, you know, go back to your table where you belong. There's yeah. no, there's no mixing at this point of the event. Otherwise, you're breaking the rules, and we, we we might as well not even do this part of the event. So it was the, the, the example that Chuck is speaking to is at her own wedding. I mean, I will say I dream to have the confidence of this woman one day. I, I forget her name, but she was half, like Chuck said, half German, half Egyptian. And at her own wedding, they had created some sort of seating arrangement where where couples were split up. And it was on to purpose. kind of blend yeah. on purpose to blend this new family together. It was a really sweet idea. And some guy had brought new girlfriend and she was was taking someone else's seat. And the bride at the own wedding <laughs> removed, she's like, uh-uh, that's not where you're supposed to be. <laughs> I would melt into the floor if the bride at a wedding I was at told me off. Hey, who has more authority than the bride at the wedding when you think about it? Nobody. Right. (laughs) And it wasn't for like the whole event. It was for for dinner. It was for dinner. It was dinner. And if if this one person got away with it, then others would have started shifting around and you would have lost that whole mixer, get to know somebody new feeling. Yeah. And that was that was kind of on the subject too of creating fun rules versus enforced etiquette for events. So I I might live in Texas, but I'm not from the South where the concept of like 
taught etiquette is a much more pronounced thing than it was in Ohio. Like where I was like, not that we were raised in a farm, but, but it's a almost like an art form in the deep South. And what was very interesting that she talked about was how the concept of etiquette was kind of designed to be an exclusionary art form, right? It was to separate people. Whereas if you create a party that has kind of rules that only exist in that alternate world, it can be a more democratic approach and more experimental and fun way of kind of creating your own localized etiquette, right? And can, yeah. it's not as exclusionary. No one's having to guess or research what to do <laughs> beforehand. No, I I didn't realize it either. But as soon as she said it, I'm like, yeah, you're absolutely right. She was talking about cotillions and Learning the yeah. fox trot was like that was exclusionary because if you didn't learn those specific bits of etiquette, which were looked upon some by favorably as like, oh, you're in high society because you do these things. Yeah. Like, what a load of crap. <laughs> in the you know, we're supposed to be inclusive and open to new ideas. And I liked her term, what was it, alternate world or alternate reality or what uh for having these events, for having these parties, and like you said, you set up these rules that are your bits of etiquette, but they can apply to everybody. One thing about that uh, French dinner party is everybody was wearing white, white Only shoes, white, white, white shoes. dress, <laughs> white jacket, white pants, white top hat, whatever. Every, the tablecloths were white. And they said it was the people that were the color to this whole thing. Because normally yeah. you wind up with a whole bunch of people wearing different colors, but they all end up being white or you know, yeah. what, whatever, you know. Yeah, homogenous. Yeah. Yeah. And, and she said, this flipped it on its head and you really got this um, kind of slice of life. They did one, what, something like this in New York and they got a microcosm of New York, all walks of life. Uh, I, I also like the one where they said uh, they you they purposely did not mention anyone's last name. No one's allowed to ask, what do you do for a living? I love that. That was such a great idea. You know, there were some real leveling rules in some of these. And they may seem kind of frivolous at first. But, you know, think about uh, if you didn't know the org structure at work and you could just yeah. talk to anybody about anything. And even if they weren't the right person, they could refer you to somebody. And and I like this at ServiceNow because there, a lot of it does exist. I've often been out for a walk and texted our SVP of marketing going, hey, I've got an idea. Or, mm-hmm. or the person in charge of all of the corporate branding. It's not just because I'm Chuck and I've been here 13 years and everybody knows me, which is a bunch of crap. And that's kind of it too. <laughs> I, am, I am an individual contributor. I'm like seven or eight levels down from Bill McDermott. So you know, in, in the corporate ladder structure, I'm not that significant. And I don't think that I am. That's very similar to uh, my one of my first outings as part of marketing. I, so I had transitioned from sales to marketing, which you know yep. might seem like oh, it's the same company, but they are vastly different people. It was basically like joining a new company. Yeah, and I was at some like cocktail hour at Knowledge Twenty Two, and I was talking to this gentleman who's so nice. And I was like, "Oh, are you new here? Like, what do you do?" And it was Michael Barr. <laughs> He's the senior vice president. No, he's the chief marketing officer now. Yeah, he's my my the closest thing to Bill in my organization. <laughs> that's that's so cool that you can do that. And you know, there's yeah. no errors. There's no, uh, no. yes, they're busy, but they uh, uh, often find that you know people at that level want to hear what's happening down in the trenches. That's yeah. that's that's a voice that they don't get very often. And uh, I, I did, I, sometimes I do this accidentally. I sent a message off to a woman 
And because uh, she was involved in some way with a project that I'm working on, didn't realize until after I sent it, she's like a VP or senior VP of something. It's like, huh? Oh, well, at least I handle myself professionally. So I always, yeah. always do that when you, okay, we're, we're a bit off on communications and org structures right now, but that's, that's kind of what you, you may want. Yeah, and yes. I encourage that from a lot of these gatherings. And that's what those fun rules can do, right? They can help to, like, going back to the other point, equalizing your guests. And that not only benefits the people at the, you know, as far as the rank of, like, the corporate rank, it elevates everybody because they can be more honest and transparent in an environment that's safe for everyone there, which was which was really cool. Going beyond those concepts, the rest of the book is really dedicated to the imposed like timeline of the event. <laughs> and it it was so incredibly detailed. I mean, she I mean, she admits 90% of it is planning, right? 90% right. is not even the event itself. It's the what she calls the priming stage. Well, look how long we're taking to to put this one hour keynote together that oh, takes yeah. months <laughs> and hundreds of man hours to build up to. There's, yes. there's got to be just it's, it's more than ninety percent in in this upcoming events case, or the Creator Con keynote, or you know, pick your favorite performance. It's a lot, a lot of work to get that done, but it is a successful gathering if done right. If we don't plan, we're not going to get the outcomes we want. No, and so following the priming, I think the stage that I didn't even really think of is the art of ushering. There's like a whole chapter on how to bring people and introduce them to your event. I mean, that, I mean, looking back, there's so many events where that is not done at all. How many times have you been to an event or like a corporate meeting and you walk into a room and you like, don't even know if you're in the right place. No one says hi to you. No one asks for your name, your card. And you're just kind of standing of like, I don't even know if I'm at the right venue am i someone please confirm this for me again i'm gonna put this in context when when we're the mcs at knowledge creator con keynote lauren and i are not standing by the door announcing everyone as they come in announcing miss ebony akibala yeah (laughs) but but there's all those people with those lighted signs directing you well hey cheering for you that's a great example of like oh this is definitely the place to be and here's where i sit and here's where i go when we have a gathering at my house i try to meet everyone at the door whenever possible Mm -hmm. even if there's already 25 people in this house Ding dong, I will run to the door and answer it, greet them with a smile and a handshake, and then you know, hopefully usher them into the kitchen or the living room or wherever the activity is happening. Make sure they've got food, drink, or know where to get it, and then introduce them to somebody else, and then I'm free to go do the next one. And then became what I think is probably the most mishandled act of any corporate event, which is the launching of the event. Oh, do tell. Because what she, she clearly says, do not start and do not end your events with logistics. How many times have you been to some corporate event and before it even kicks off, before anyone even says, welcome to blank, it's like, okay, if you've got your parking ticket, make sure you keep that before the end of it and make sure your coats are over here. And it's like, it starts it off on such a dud that can be handled at any time, (laughs) but then they choose to start with it. You're like, oh, come on. 
It's such a, uh, she's basically defines that launching the event should be pleasant shock therapy. I thought that was very cute. (laughs) Pleasant shock therapy. (laughs) Isn't that oxymoron? (laughs) Kind of, but it should grab people. So if if we're thinking back to knowledge, it's that big, dramatic, ultra wide HD footage that they play right before Bill walks up with his hands out wide, you know, stuff like that. I was thinking about when I was jumping around like an idiot, but okay. (laughs) I mean, seriously, both of those. Anything else on the timeline? I mean, I think closing is important. Absolutely. I, I This is something that I think about for uh, any event or meeting. Uh, how do you end? Is how it, do you end? It, first of all, if it's, uh, you know, if we're having a meet up at our house, there's going to be an end time set. Okay. We're going to conclude yes. at 8 p.m. If it runs till nine, I'm not going to complain. Sometimes no. people stay and they want to keep playing games till 10. That's fine too. But there's a defined end now, what's your exit strategy for those people that just don't want to leave? <laughs> well, she talks about the art of the last call. So you know how when they're like closing down a bar, they'll give you a last right. call. So you should kind of do something similar at your event, even if it's just transitioning from one room to another. It does signal to the brain that momentum is occurring. It's like the same as when you go outside to wish a bride and groom goodbye. You can still usually stay at the wedding for a half hour more or so, but you know, you you understand that the night is coming to a close. And again, this is around the organizer's role, not necessarily around the attendee's role, because some people do take a half hour to say goodbye to all the other people. And that's fine. Uh, But that, that, Exit strategy or for an event or a meeting, is there a call to action that you want to leave them with? Hey, don't forget to download these files. Go to our GitHub repo. uh, Check out our website. Subscribe to our podcast. Whatever it is, you want to leave them with a a, a message, an action, something of that nature is very important at the closing. And that's a great way to, again, signal this is the end. And not to end with logistics either. She says that logistics, she's like, there's so many times that can happen. Do not start with them and do not end with them because statistically people only remember the first 5% and last 5% yeah. of any gathering. So that you can- don't want that to be where to pick up their coat. You want that to be, oh, I should be sure to do this following this event has occurred. Right. That's that's kind of gets back to the... I think we've mentioned this in previous podcasts on soft skills. Tell them, tell them, tell them. The diamond form is (laughs) is you you tell them up front, hey, this is what we're going to be covering in this presentation, meeting, whatever, A, B, C. And then you spend the body of that talking about A, B, and C in great detail. And then you summarize at the end, here's A, B, and C. So it's, it's ingrained in there. That can be another way of doing the closing. It's like, hey, before we wrap up, just want to remember, we covered A, B, and C had a great time. Thanks. See ya. Absolutely. So here's my question to you, Chuck, now that we've kind of summarized. And granted, this is a very high level summary. I highly recommend y'all read the book. It's a pretty quick read. Um, but what do you think developers themselves will get the most out of this type of book? Where where will they take this and employ it most if in their everyday lives? I would start small. Start something where you're familiar, just like developing an application. Take a personal use case and apply these concepts. Do you have a purpose defined? Do you know who, what, where, when? You know, Have you thought about a lot of these things? Maybe not to the detail that this book goes into, but start thinking about them high level. And if you've got questions, again, this is a wonderful resource 
I'm going through, I'll probably go through this one multiple times over the next few years. This is very much one of those personal growth and productivity things like How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie. I go through that every few years and I find something new every time. Or David Allen's Getting Things Done. Granted, he's very, his system is getting a bit aged, but the philosophy is still there. And there's many good concepts. So by going through this periodically, you'll pull out one or two new things and go, I want to apply that. Or I didn't see that the first time and that really makes sense. So start small, start with something personal. Maybe you're, do, you're in charge of your, your developer team's retrospective meetings each week. Uh, yeah. Maybe you're not, or you could ask. There's a career opportunity. Ask yeah. to be involved or the organizer or the leader of something internal. If you've got something personal coming up, that you, we all have stuff we have to plan for in our personal lives, whether it's a vacation or... D&D campaign. <laughs> bingo. You know, what is the purpose? It may be something that's already in motion, like mm-hmm. our developer meetups. I'm constantly thinking, is this a meeting or is this a meetup or is this an event we need to rethink? Is it fulfilling the purpose we originally set out for? Do we need to realign the purpose or do we need to kill the meeting and start something new? It's it's not a bad thing to keep doing that start, stop, continue for something that's already in motion. Absolutely. Did I answer the question? Yeah, you nailed it. <laughs> and then I guess on the flip side of that, that's speaking about how other people can employ this, right? Uh, is there anything that you are going to utilize going into our upcoming weeks of fun events or anything like that? <laughs> yes, I'm going to make sure that we stick to our original purpose on this upcoming event. It's <laughs> it's been at risk a few times and I keep pulling them back going this is not what this is not what we said we were going to do back at the end of July. We've moved mm-hmm. through all of August. We've had a lot of cooks and and just so I'm I'm at the point in my career where I'm just going to be a bull in a china shop sometimes. I go, no, 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 no. We said we were going to do this, and you're talking about doing something else. Let's continue. Are we changing the purpose? If so, let's have a different discussion around that. So mm-hmm. I'm I'm looking to apply purpose first and make sure that that is clear, and then the other pieces generally fall into place. Easier. Mm-hmm. I'll say easier. You still got to hunt Easy. around for a location and make sure it's the right location and all that good stuff. Absolutely. How about you? I think probably the biggest change that I want to make to the events that I contribute to, whether that is something that I'm running myself or that I'm participating at with others, is the dynamic opening and close. I think that that Mm. has the highest potential for risk, especially in corporate events, right? They just, they usually fall flat. They fall into a pattern or a category, right? Versus contributing to a specific purpose. Something doesn't have to be the Knowledge24 keynote to be dynamic. And oftentimes too, we don't have to keep everything at a 60 minute meeting. I think that that, that's something that's not talked about in this book, which is the length of an event per se. Oh, right. right. But I think that that is a, a very common corporate standard of I'm going to have a meeting, I will make it 60 minutes. And then you always make the joke of, well, if we end early, we end early, but it never ends early. <laughs> so that's that's honestly probably a bit more of an agile principle than a art of gathering principle, but it contributes right to the concept of a purpose, right? It doesn't have to be bloated. It can stay lean. There's nothing, there's a generosity to the exclusion. It doesn't just have to be pertinent to people, but can also be relevant to time. 
I've got, uh, if I haven't already talked about this, I'm not sure we have, is effective meetings mm. and what it takes. So similar but specific uh, towards the corporate world. So I've got a lot of things to say about meetings that I'm not going to share here or we would run way too long. <laughs> hey, part two, man, part two. How's that for a closing? <laughs> Perfect. Great tease for next time. We've talked about our takeaways from the book. Let's put a link to the book. Amazon yes. be fine. Yeah. Or you, and if you want, you can listen to it on Google Play like I did. Just mm -hmm. search for The Art of Gathering. But we'll have a link to the Amazon link. It's not an affiliates link. We're not making any money. We're, no. not, we're, we're, we're just sharing information we love that we think would be useful to anybody of any position. So feel free to share this episode with your friends if you think it'd be valuable to them as well. Once again, thank you very much, Lauren, for sharing the book information. I've enjoyed it very much. My pleasure. Always happy to bring reading recommendations. And if you all want more, let us know in the comments on LinkedIn. <laughs> we'll have a link to the book on Amazon. You can find it anywhere you find books, audiobooks, that sort of thing. But we'll put that in there. Thank you, wonderful listener, for joining us today. Don't forget, you can check out the other ServiceNow podcasts at servicenow.com slash community under the events menu. Subscribe to it. Find whatever you're looking for. You can also find that at devlink.sn slash podcasts, where there's a whole bunch of other podcasts. It's amazing how many we've got. I think we're up to like 16 ServiceNow podcasts all over the podosphere. Breakpoint is brought to you by ServiceNow executive producer Chuck Tomasi and Lauren McManaman. Hey, that's us. Woo! video and captions by Earl Duque. And to find out more about the ServiceNow developer program, please, we invite you to head over to developer.servicenow.com. Thanks, Lauren. Talk to you next time. Thank you. Bye. Please let us know what you think about this podcast. You can leave feedback or ask questions in the ServiceNow community. For more great information on ServiceNow development, check out the ServiceNow developer portal at developer.servicenow.com. Thanks for listening. My internet has been going in and out today, so that's been really fun. <laughs> we had a that's right. And here we go. Oh, I don't have an abstract. Shoot. We could have ChatGPT write us one. In this episode, we'll be discussing a book that we recently read that we wanted. We'll be discussing a book that we recently read that we want to discuss. No. In this episode, we'll be covering a book that we recently read that we want to discuss. We want to discuss and with everyone. Hello, ServiceNow admins, builders, and developers, and I can't even do that right when it's right in front of my face. Let's try that again. Where we bring you the latest tools, trips, trips? <laughs> it's a rough, it's a rough day. <laughs> rough day for all. One more time. Once we get past the intro, it'll be fine. We typically cover you know, the tools, we, the product reviews, the the... Uh, what else do we do on this podcast? For your conversation? That's it. I always think of that scene from Iron Man where Tony Stark has like all like the patriotic, or was that, it might have, or scratch that part. I forget what movie that's from. Uh, let's see. What was the last thing we just said? Let me think for about that for a second. Hmm. So once again, thank you. Thank you, wonderful listener for sharing. No, listening. No, something. Ah, the beginning and the end. Like, what are we sharing? What are we sharing? Thank you, wonderful listener, for joining us today. Let's try that in a non-aggressive manner. It's Monday. <laughs>
going down in flames.